Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, Greg, how are you? Very good, very good. Thanks for having me join you today. Absolutely. Well, the pleasure's all ours. So I'm with Greg Crabtree. And uh, Greg, we're going to attempt something that maybe had never been done in the history of mankind here today. We're going to try and get non-accountants to be interested in accounting. What do you say? Uh, I think that's a great plan. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Greg, can you give the listeners a little of your background and kind of what you do and what made you famous? It, it, it's interesting that an accountant could be famous, uh, but it, it actually surprises me every day uh, because really, I mean, I hate accounting. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I chose that profession because when I was a kid on a chicken farm, uh, I went with my mom one year to get her tax return done and I realized accountants work in air conditioned offices. So, uh, so that, that was my initial assessment of the profession. Then when I got out of school, I realized, oh gosh, what have I signed up for? Um, and, and so fortunately there's a couple of things that kind of you know, piqued my interest. And one of the early mentors I had was a partner of an office that did a lot of consulting. And, you know, it, it's amazing, these people that you cross paths with in life that you see a glimpse. You know, he, he, he didn't do it totally like the way I wanted to do it, you know, or I, the way I do it today. But I saw that picture of accounting is not a all-encompassing body of knowledge by itself unless you want to just be a teacher of it. It's a tool. It's a hammer to, to a carpenter. And so, you know, I want to use accounting like a carpenter uses a hammer, to, you know, to build a great cathedral, you know, in, in this process. And that cathedral is how to run a profitable wealth-building business that's worthy of your time and attention and effort and passion, you know, that you can really go make a difference in the world, creating jobs, you know, create wealth for your family and, and any of your passionate interest, you know, that you have. And, and when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, okay, well, this is one of those necessary ingredients. And how do we use it in a way that is less academic and a lot more practical and functional? And so that kind of started a journey that, you know, took a, a, a long time to, to kind of come up with. But as I, uh, I really started hanging out and focusing just on the entrepreneurs of the world, you know, it really started to, to help us refine our message and our philosophies and our ideas. And that was kind of the genesis of the first book, Simple Numbers. Uh, because we do believe that at the end of the day, if the numbers aren't simple, we're, we're making it too complex. And there's a handful of numbers that matter, you know, in every business model. And we just want to give people a simple construct of how to think about business so that they can make good decisions. Now, you still have to fight your own inner demons of maybe (laughs) wanting more out of the business than what it can give you, you know, but at least we can get to financial truth that the common man can understand. And that's, that's really where the power is. Yeah, I think, (laughs) I think you bring up about 86 great points there, but one of which (laughs) is, uh, you know, the the title kind of spoke to me, simple numbers, big profits, right? And right. Yep. both things I can get along with because the very first accountant I ever hired really had the curse of knowledge. Super mm-hmm. smart woman. Uh, she was amazing at what she did, except she wasn't great at explaining. And mm-hmm. 
when I couldn't learn how it was supposed to be or why the, what was the why behind a certain number, mm-hmm. yeah. I had no interest in, in, you know, accounting for those things or writing it a certain way or performing it a certain way because it didn't make any sense to me. And when I read your book, I was like, oh my God, this guy gets it. Like he thinks about what the small business owner who's also something else mm-hmm. understands. That entrepreneur that maybe, hey, they're, they're a gym owner, they're a chiropractor, they're a professional mm-hmm. service or they're selling things online, whatever it is, but they're yeah. also doing the books for their business. Yeah. And so in that case, well, that's a totally different way of speaking about it. You know, it's like, I don't need to know how to drive a car I'm sorry, I need to know how to drive a car. I don't need to know what the factory worker at, at Ford knows about how to build the damn thing. I don't care. I just need to say, hey, point it down the street, hit that long pedal on the right, and we're going to go places, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad of that because I don't have a mechanical mind. Yeah, you know, and that was really where, you know, I think well, the we only the only other famous chicken farmer I know of was Carol Shelby, the famous uh, of the Shelby <laughs> Shelby Cobra. So you're in good company there. Oh, that, that's good. I didn't realize that. So. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, it started with our original premise of helping an entrepreneur understand you get paid a salary for what you do and a return on what you own and don't confuse the two. And, you know, one of the, the continued work that I'm doing that'll be in the next book is really understanding your business as an investment um, and so stay tuned for that one. But, but really, that's, that is the premise of that idea because if I don't really account for the job that I signed up for, then I'm really having, I, I never start with economic reality in the first place because if I'm the guy at a, at a gym that's managing, managing the front desk, well, is that really the job I want? Well, you know, or if, if I'm the chiropractor, well, I can make pretty good money as a chiropractor. Or do I want to be somebody who owns, you know, a, a multiple, you know, number of chiropractic locations with other ancillary services? And so the idea is, think of it like this. It goes back to a, a, an incredible article I read years ago in the Wall Street Journal, uh, back when Subway used to sell individual Subway franchises. And they, mm-hmm. they had this article that said, great way to have a $25,000 a year job with all the headaches of ownership. And that's what a single unit subway, and they don't even sell single unit franchises anymore because I can't generate enough economic activity from a single subway location to justify a corporate overhead structure. And so, and chances are, I'm not going to get somebody with business, you know, strategy, knowledge, capability to be the guy that runs the cash register and opens and closes every day and then has a couple of people help make sandwiches along the line. And, and so when you start to look at it that way, you know, when, you know, the, the complex thing that your audience is looking at because they are, they, they can be a highly paid skilled professional as a, um, as a chiropractor. Well, you, you've got to understand that I have limited time to actually be a business manager. So I have to design things in a way that either fractional management or somebody else manages, or I choose one day to not even be the service provider. I choose to be an owner of multiple locations. Uh, Can I stop you there real quick? Sure. Yeah. So back to the original sentence you you said was in, in this little, uh, in this little thing was you said, get paid for the, job you have yeah and so that the salaries for the job you have and mm-hmm. what did you say distributions are for the you, you, you get you a re- you get a return on what you own and uh-huh. and so the concept of return on what you own actually comes with us it, it's not as simple as just distributions 
It, mm-hmm. So, so one of the examples that I like to 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 play with people is so. So, Josh, what if I what if I came to you and said, "Hey, uh, I hear you got a hundred thousand dollars that you you're looking to invest. What if mm-hmm. I gave you a hundred percent CD for one year? Would you be interested?" So you're saying I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars of mm-hmm. I'm going to buy a CD, and yeah. in one year, it's going to be worth how much? I'm going to give you your hundred in principal back and a hundred thousand in interest. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Yeah. Okay. So a year later, you know, I'm good for it. I give you the hundred grand back, hundred grand in interest. Oh, by the way, IRS wants forty percent at least of that hundred thousand of interest. So you got a hundred and sixty. Yeah. You know, okay. Would, I'm, would, I'm still would, okay. Yeah. Would you like to do it again? Yes. Right. And and any sane person would absolutely say yes. Right. Well, the idea is all of our data tells us that if I can get you running, you know. And with the exception of businesses that are, you know, super high volume, low gross margin kind of product sale you know, kind of businesses. But for a service-based business, if I can get you to 10% profit, the capital that it takes you to run that business effectively, not be bumping zero on the cash account, you know, a couple of times a month, worrying about pushing this bill or not paying that one. I run a fully capitalized, well-running business with all the resources that it needs, and I make a 10% profit. Our data says that your average return on invested capital, that business is 75 to 100% easy. So you're selling me that uh, a, a CD that returns 75% or 100, somewhere between those two, yeah. year over year. Year over year, without selling the business. Okay. So I would say, why in the hell would I not do that, Greg? I mean, that, right. that sounds like a dream deal. It is. It is. And so what now this one, the reason there's a couple of reasons why it comes with such a high rate of return. It requires the skill, although it, it can it's an easily acquired skill, I believe, because there's plenty of data out there and knowledge to go get to know how to do it. But the key is it also requires commitment. And every now and then, the marketplace doesn't give you that return for a short period of time due to uncontrollable economic conditions. So if the marketplace has a downturn, I have to live through it. Well, that's the whole point of being a fully capitalized business. I can get through the downturns. When I go back and look at 2008, 2009, 2010, when everybody else was saying, oh, there was this recession thingy going on back then, except my clients didn't call me up and ask me how to get more money because their line of credit had been pulled. They actually had nothing drawn on their line of credit to begin with. They had cash. They, they called me and said, how do, I, how do I actually protect my cash? Well, it turns out that 2008, 2009, 2010 were three of their most profitable years ever in the midst of when everybody else was having this so-called recession thing. Now, some of them didn't grow dramatically, although some of them did, actually, uh, because they were the only game in town. And so when you're well capitalized and you can be profitable, then you can ride those, those bad times, you know, better than the average person. It's the person who constantly lives on the edge and has a distortion in their understanding of their business model to where they're consuming. So let's take an example for our audience here of a chiropractic clinic. So let's say, you know, the chiropractor should be making $200,000 a year, you know, as compensation. Well, if the business is making 100000 in profit and they're taking 200000 in compensation, but they take out 300000 because that's their lifestyle, 
I, I don't have a business that can ever be fully capitalized because there's no economic engine to make sure that there's plenty of cash for that. And All so right. that, that's a case where that person is consuming, it, it, instead of reinvesting the CD for a return, they, they consumed it. So if, I, if you'd gotten your 100000 in interest back on your $100,000 CD, paid the tax, which you still have to pay, and if you decided, gee, I got $60,000, i am going to go make a down payment on a condo at the beach. Well, not mm-hmm. only did I consume the profit that I needed for capitalization of my business, I've now created another consumptive stream that chews up any money that comes out of my income-producing asset. All right, all right, all right. So I'm going to stop you real quick because <laughs> this is all well and good. Every account yeah. in the world, hell, forget the accountant. A dietitian is going up saying, listen, do a little more exercise, eat yep. a little less calories, a little yep. more vegetables, a little less gravy. Right. Everything's going to work out, right? Right. But I'm going to, uh, I, you know, I'm going happy hour with my buddies and I want some hot wings, brother. I want to yep. have some fun, right? That's right. And, okay. and I, want you, I want you to have the resources to be able to have that fun. So it requires, the first thing is, whatever job you choose to do in the business, do it to an exceptional level that you're able to pay yourself at the high end of the market wage. So okay. if I'm a so, chiropractor. Yep, I let's need, stop right there. Yeah. So in chiropractic, normal wages are anywhere, anywhere between 110 and, you know, poking 280, I've heard yep. in some yep. studies. So where should I fall? Well, I would probably say that, I mean, if you're, if you, if you consider yourself a full-time practitioner, you know, and you've got a full load of patient, I would say easily you should be making in the 200 plus range or else there's something wrong with your, your productivity model, or you may be in a limited market or some, one of those things. And, and so, so you have to look at that and say, you know, am, am I really practicing to the optimal, uh, you know, uh, okay. way of doing it? So and let's so, say they got, they got all that figured out and they're, they're bumping along at, you know, they're, you're saying pay at the higher end of the, uh-huh. of the wage spectrum. So they're, let's say they're above 250. So they're in that right. upper echelon. And what else should we do so we can have the, that fun? Well, well, you know, but I, what I think from that standpoint, I, our contention is I want you to live off of the net after tax of your net paycheck you know, that thing in the business, because I'm going to offer you a chance to make an investment in something that is going to grow at 75 to hundred percent return on investment up to a point. Now, the thing is, if I'm a single practice chiropractic clinic, there's a limited amount of capital that I can deploy before that business doesn't need any more capital. And we, we go through this example a, a lot with clients a good example the other day, we had a client, different industry, but the point still resonates. We had a client that was at $2.1 million of revenue, $750,000 of profit, and they wanted to grow to $5 million. And I, I modeled it out, and I said, and they agreed with my assumptions when I came back to them. I said, well, the best I can model out is a million of profit at $5 million. And so here's my question to you. Would you rather make seven fifty dollars a profit on $2.1 million that you already know works, or do you want to take the risk of trying to grow to $5 million to only make another $250,000 profit? And they yeah. decided, no, $2.1 really nice. I think we'll stay here. <laughs> and so, so this, is your, this is your conundrum as a practice. Uh, and, and, so, and I faced it as a, as a CPA as well. I could, the 95% of CPA practices, I believe is in, it's in the 90s, I think it's 95% of CPA practices are under a million dollars of revenue for this very reason. 
it's something that I can control and manage, make a good living, but I'm not willing to go. I I got to the point that I probably have, have developed a consumption habit to want to consume my profits rather than leave them for, for capitalization and growth to the next level. Whereas this is, this is building the habit of eating, uh, going to the bar with your buddy and eating celery sticks with your beer rather than uh, going for the full on deep fried hot wings. I I, I skipped, I got the beer, but I skipped the wings. Exactly. Okay. So, so what most people do in this situation, those, I become a chiropractor. I have a business that's making, say, after I pay everything, there's another mm-hmm. 200 grand uh, or 300 grand left over for the year. And I say, hey, I really haven't been paying myself a salary. So I'm just going to kind of take all that as mine. And mm-hmm. we're going to start fresh next year from basically zero in the account. That's right. And, and, the, and the everything left over is mine kind of attitude never gives you a sense of truly what did you earn from your effort? Because really, you know, the easiest way to analyze your business model in terms of its effectiveness is take yourself out of the equation and say, if I decided to just own this business and hire another chiropractor to see my patients, you know, what would I have to pay them? And, and that's, that's a good indicator of what you should make yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we run the same model with our dentist clients. You know, I mean, dentists are, have long since been paid on a production basis. And we, we had the, these two dentists that owned a three-location dental practice. So they'd already seen the vision of being a multi-practice, you know, kind of owner. And they had other dentists working for them. And this is this will set the stage for your, your guys pretty easily. One guy was, one partner was making seven fifty a year. The other one was making 300 And the guy making 300 he was complaining. He says, well, I, I spend all my time managing the business. And I said, that's absolutely correct. We need to fix that. What we're going to do is have you keep track of every hour you spend managing the business. And we'll pay you at a rate of 75000 a year for the hours that you spend doing that. Now, let me also make you aware of the, the other alternative is that, if your hands are in somebody's mouth, you can make a low rate of pay of 300 to a high of 750. But hey, you're an owner of the business. You get to pick any job you want, but the market picks your pay. And so when I'm working as the practice manager of a three location dental practice, uh, we said the value of that job was 75,000 a year. And we proved it to them because we actually hired the practice manager to fill that role and they paid him 75,000 a year and he was superb at it. And guess and that what? Was, that was guess a fair rate the, for him, huh? That was a fair rate. Guess what? The guy who made three hundred made the next year when he wasn't managing the business. I'm going to guess made, close, closer to the seven fifty mark. Closer, he made five hundred. He just oh, he just heartbreaking. He yeah, he did, he didn't want to work as much as the other guy, and that's a choice. I mean, you know, you get to decide. I mean, how, how hard do you want to hit it when you're in a practicing profession? You know, but let's face it: what he traded was low value hours for high value hours. And so this is, an, this is an underlying principle for everybody listening to this. You must work to your highest rate of value. And is your highest rate of value the profession that you do or your ability to create multiple business opportunities and hire other people that you make a profit off of what they do? And, and some people do a little of both, but you kind of have to decide, do you want to be the manager of businesses? Well, I got, it's like that Subway franchisee. I need 10 of them. Then I can justify a $250,000, $300,000 salary where I'm not having to make the sandwiches versus. Right, so, so let's go down this road a little, if you don't mind me asking. Okay, sure. Let's say you got a guy, chiropractors making somewhere between 
200 and 250 a year. And he says, you know what? I want my personal income to reach a million dollars. And there's okay. no way I can see enough people to do that. So I just okay, cannot work enough hours. Right. In the, in the simple numbers recipe, mm-hmm. can, you, can you break it down in the fewest? Can we get there in three or five steps? Can you lay out the pathway for people to see that? That is not just, hey, work harder and hire at will. And basically, you know, I, I always think a lot of business owners, there's a wave that's cresting and they say, oh, I'll surf this one. And it's like, mm-hmm. if we kind of sit back and choose our surfboard correctly and line some things up, we can choose the right wave that, that will get us on the front cover of the magazine. But this little three foot crap ain't going to do anything for us. Well, I mean, we, we have a client who did just that. I mean, he had a single location and he, he, he looked at al- alternate types of um, uh, of service offerings. And so he, he would do, you know, some, you know, some health and wellness. He would do some chiropractic. Uh, he, he uh, added a acupuncture clinic. Um, and so the idea was he decided he wanted to get out of the doing. And so he's got about, I think about eight locations now where, you know, everybody working in it is just a contracted person uh, from the, the service provider. And so what, what he looked at was, you know, are you, you know, do you want to personally be connected to every patient that walks through the door? Are you providing good care to anybody who walks through the door, regardless of a longstanding personal relationship or not? I mean, I, you know, I mean, we're, our firm's about 4 million. We're actually, you know, probably on path to do about 5 million this next year. And I've long since lost the ability to know every client that we work with. Uh, as much as I would like to know them and know their intimate, you know, details of how their business works, they, they ended up me to go around. And, and, and that's just kind of the way the personal services business works. And so the idea is you have to decide, do you want to be that person who is providing it or do you want to be the person who owns it and manages it? And I, and I will say this as a, a, a tone of caution not everybody is good or not everybody is capable of managing a multi-business model. Mm-hmm. It sounds great in theory and the, the capitalization concept that I described earlier of the 75 to 100% return on investment, it works. I mean, we see that data point over and over again if you can grow it and get profitable. It's, and so that's the thing is where it fails is where you don't select the right service provider to head up, you know, that practice unit. You're not good at marketing to get people in fast enough to get it off the ground. Because when you look at the capital input of a new location or a new line of business, let's say you're going to add a gym, you know, to your existing business. Well, mm-hmm. I don't really care that it's, if it's physically connected or not. It's still a different business. And so it has a capitalization requirement that is this. What's the sum of the stuff that I have to buy to put in it? What are my operating costs that, that I lose money on until it breaks even? That's my capital input. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets to that point, the sum of that original investment, can I make? So if, if my original investment for, a, say, a gym added onto my practice, if that original investment is 200000 I got to have a business model that's going to at least get me 50% return on my money. And I really want 75 before I'm going to say, that's just not worth it. So if I only invest a hundred thousand, make it work, then I've got, I only need 75,000 a year profit to say, Hey, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, that's, you know, but there again, if your goal is to get to a million, 
how many of these these things do I do I go for the thing that gets me more profit within a singular activity, or do I string together a series of smaller profit activities, but they're highly certain in their outcome? You know, certainly you can run a gym model if you have good subscriptions and and draw. I mean, the classic thing of, of, of gyms is, hey, it's all about the sales and getting people in and on subscription basis so that, you know, it's not about whether or not they come or not. Well, the thing is a, a health practitioner is actually, they feel bad if that person's not coming because they, they actually want that person to use the gym and feel better about it and, and improve their health profiles and all those things. Right. But let's face it, the actual real economic model of the gym is I want people paying me, you know, a monthly, you know, uh, subscription and not necessarily using it. Yeah. And it does that's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does help. I mean, I, I get yeah. it. Well, you know. let, let's kind of, so, so this is all the theory of, of why Greg is a freaking genius and why you should read his books uh, and any book that comes out. But let's get down to the nuts and bolts, Greg. Like, yep. so if, I've, if I'm that single... I like the analogy of dieting here because you're the, you're the dietitian saying, Hey, you know, mm. d- skip over the hot wings, stick with the carrots and celery. Right. So what habits can a single provider office, what habits can they get into accounting wise or, or sorry, forget the accounting, the reporting wise, what numbers yep. should you look at so that you can say, Hey, I can, I can see my, my pathway here to that million dollars. Yeah. So, so a lot of it from a data standpoint I think starts the if you can develop this habit earlier than later, it will help. And we refer to it as the weekly accounting rhythm. And so, if you actually go to the simplenumbers.me website, there's a there's a that's simplenumbers.me. Is that what yeah, you said? Correct. Okay. That that's my book content website, and and so there's a there's a uh, there's some free spreadsheets and stuff you can download from there. Uh, and there's also a blog that I wrote called the weekly accounting process. And so it's kind of the the ode to the excuse laden thing of why my books can't get closed until the fifteenth or the thirtieth of the next month. It says, "Listen, I want you to run live books. Uh, you know, every week ends in a, a, an accounting period. So let's just do everything in an every weekly basis. And really, you know, the the for your audience, the chiropractor model is there is no such thing as a month. There's a week. Uh, we saw patients this week. What do we bill those patients this week? How much cash do we collect this week? What is our efficiency for this week? And so the thing is, if I can really get down to a week-to-week-to-week model and in, in almost in the sense of a run rate of what my productivity is, the, the real power of your business is quite simply, here's my revenue that I get for services. Here's my... Uh, in, in your case, there may be some consumables of supplies or medical supplies and those kind of things, but it's probably not going to be a ton. That gets you gross margin. Gross margin per direct labor dollar, uh, which is all of your, um, I mean, realistically, in a, in a small chiropractic office, it's going to be, uh, you know, really you as the doctor is the direct labor anybody who's the billable resource, and then your, your office manager or front desk person would be management labor. That's the ad or admin labor. And so those are really the key elements of separating the labor of who produces the revenue versus who supports the revenue. And, and so when you look at my models in the book, uh, especially in Vern Harness's Scaling Up book, I show the more, the, um, more advanced version of separating direct labor from management labor. And, and there you start to track whether or not how productive that labor is. Because 
I can add another doc, and but if I'm having to pay them everything that they produce, what did I gain? And you know, and, and that's the whole thing of I've got to make a margin off of this productive labor, right? And, and, and so, and for so, those of you out there who you know, like in my perspective, I, I had I had a quite a few uh, basically trainers in the gym, and we were paying them commission off of basically a percentage of what they brought in, right? Mm-hmm, right. And they said, "Hey, we're at this amount, and we want to go up to this amount." And they were talking about like sixty percent of of what's collected in the hour, right? Well, I, when I ran your numbers in, mm-hmm. in Vern's book, or I can't remember simple numbers or if it yep. was, it was up, it's probably out of Vern's book on that one. Yeah. Right? Either way, it was like, I realized quickly, it's going to be detrimental to the business to take on any more business if we're paying that right. amount, you know, it's, right. it's going to burn the, the roof off the house in the process of trying to build it. It was unbelievable. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so once you establish that ratio, what you need to, to do, you know, that's a case where, you know, in your mind, you thought that, oh, well, that should be enough to cover everything else. And once you run the numbers, it's not. Right. And, and so every business, every business model has its signature ratio of gross margin to what that labor is. Now, the great thing is, I mean, granted, in that model, when you have a trainer model, yeah, I'm only paying the trainers when I get paid, so I'm not having to pay them for their downtime. But there's also an aspect of saying, if I'm really good at attracting, who's, who's attracting those people? Is that me or is that the trainer? And so I will tell you, this is the thing that has struck me. And, and it's the person who really is good at marketing and driving activity that probably gets the highest amount of value in the end. Because... Um, that's really kind of the secret sauce, I think, in most business models that, that I think is least understood because you may have a great skill set, but if you can't drive enough volume uh, to really justify that skill set, you know, that's a person who thinks they ought to make $200,000 a year, but they can only make 100 because they just don't get enough patient flow. I'll get right back to that interview with Greg Crabtree after this message. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. I yep. hope everybody out there is listening to this because you have an accountant, a guy at the tail end of the business cycle telling you that the most important factor here is marketing. Like, yeah. I, I hope people can see that there are two worlds colliding here that <laughs> don't necessarily see eye to eye. And Greg is one of those few, he's like, he's like a, at the end of the matrix where Neo can just see the numbers going through the air <laughs> and he realizes that the bright numbers are the ones that are marketing, right? That's the driver of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's, it's really important for people to say that because you essentially have not, um, you don't look at a business on the front and go, what are their signage like? What's their brochure like? What's this like? You're just looking at the tail end going, man, these numbers are higher than those numbers. What's right. the difference? And then backtracking it, backfilling it going, well, the only difference really here is better marketing. It is. It is. And I, you know, and I would say nine out of 10 businesses don't spend enough on marketing and the other one out of 10 don't spend it very well. I mean, it is, it is a, it is a very small fraction of businesses that are really effective with their marketing spend. I mean, we, we can, you call go into, 
Can you go into that? Yeah, because I, I would love to yeah. know your perspective as a, uh, I always love when a, a totally objective, I, you know, right. someone with no horse in the race tells you, right. do this, I'm telling you, I've seen the numbers. Well, here's, so I have three simple rules to run a successful business. They're simple. They're, they're not easy, but they're simple. Number one is figure out what the market needs. Two, figure out how to do it profitably. And then three, find a way to tell everybody about it. And so the, the thing is that I think everybody misses, everybody that's good at marketing or much better at figuring out what the market needs. Don't sell them what you do, do what they need. And that is a higher moral ground of, of then messaging to then find the people who need it, find where they live, find where they hang out, craft your message that is, you know, connective to that need. And I mean, 90 plus percent of marketing is just telling people what you do. Hi, my name's Greg. I'm an accountant. Do you need some accounting? I mean, I mean, how effective is that? It's not at all. I mean, to give you an idea. People usually respond with, uh, nice to meet you, Greg, but who invited you to this party? And let me show you yeah, the door. Yes. Yeah. Can you leave? <laughs> yeah. I, and, and so, I mean, I, mean, th- I mean, what's bizarre is, and so, I mean, we have a single office in Huntsville, Alabama. We have a couple of remote employees, you know, but, but we, we're in one single place in Huntsville, Alabama, and yet 80% of our revenue is not in Huntsville, Alabama. And wow. I and I didn't knock on anybody's door to do it. Not, I, I've never knocked on anybody's door ever in my life. I just don't believe in it. But what we did was we touched a nerve that was unfulfilled. And and so I mean, we literally get one qualified lead a day calling us. Wow. And yeah. and we. Well, I mean, and, that's how this interview started. Was you struck yeah. a nerve because you're the first account. I mean, how, I don't know how many accountants yeah. are in the, in the in the nation, but. I, I essentially could have hired anybody. Yeah. But the way you transmitted what you did in this book, I was right. like, this guy gets it. There's something right. different here and I want it. Yeah. And, and I think every one of the, of the people listening to this, I would say, you know, search inside, find a group of people who would be a target group. I, and so my story is this, I, I joined the entrepreneurs organization in 2001 and not, not too many accountants join EO because it takes a lot of time, you know, in terms of what you spend in forum and, and all that. And then on top of that, I joined the Atlanta chapter, which is a four-hour drive from me. So once a month, I'm driving four hours to Atlanta, four hours in forum, four hours drive home, which is dumb if, you're, if you think hourly, you know, but I, I don't think that way. I think value. And, and so that Forum, I'm precluded from doing business with them by forum rules. It's supposed to be a safe environment, trust and respect, high confidentiality. So I got to ask those nine other people I'm in forum with every month, would you recommend your current accountant? And none of the nine would. So as a profession, we scored a zero on a net promoter score. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty sad. And I knew something was wrong. And that was really where I said, okay, well, what is it? And and so it, it, and and it's the thing was, obviously, everybody don't like, they don't like the April 15th tax surprise. And I said, okay, well, I can fix, that I can fix. The, here's, here's one that they threw back at me. And, and I guarantee you, there's a lot of uh, chiropractic patients who feel this way in the sense that it says, well, I, I don't like being billed by the hour. And so even though you don't necessarily bill by the hour in chiropractic, you certainly bill by procedure. Sure. But, but there again, they, they challenged me and says, we don't like being billed by the hour. And so we, we productized our service and we came up to a more of a solution value-based billing process. 
Uh, and it didn't happen overnight. We had to test some things and we had to figure out what we, you know, there's, there's a segment of our work and we do some uh, accounting support and outsourced accounting and controller level people that we still have not figured out how to build that one on a fixed price basis, you know, but, you know, 80% of our practice is, is, is fixed price. Um, and, and that was really where we learned this idea. And, and this, think about it like this, because this will resonate with all your practitioners that if you bill by the hour, I'm only, uh, I can only create two outcomes. I either gave away my expertise or I charged for my ignorance. <laughs> I, so think you're about real, that. You're a real optimist there with both <laughs> I know. But I mean, I, I think of the times, I mean, you know, I mean, I was an idiot for most of my life and didn't believe in going to a chiropractor. And I'm telling you, I love, I got two different chiropractors I go to and I love them. I mean, they've, they've given me more physical relief than any doctor I've ever met. Um, you know, but the, but there again, I mean, and I, you know, I, you know, when I'm getting a treatment from either one of them, we're having business discussions. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. So, but from that standpoint, though, it's still that thing of going, well, what is the value of this service that I've just provided that I've, I've created this solution? And, how, you know, and, and so you got to think outside the box and think, are there other ways that I can really, you know, bill for this? Um, rather than the traditional business mindset is a cost plus, you, you cost led pricing. I, I build up my costs, add 10% profit to it, and that's what I should charge. And mm-hmm. I go, no, you never get ahead that way. No. In yeah. that process. So, so from that standpoint, you know, that's really the thing that they talk about. But here's, here's the other thing that I think is, is the thing that separates anybody you know, from the rest of the pack is the third thing they tell me is, oh, by the way, you see hundreds of people's most intimate business details, you'd have some idea what works and what doesn't. And they were absolutely right. I mean, I'm sitting here with... I get the most intimate private company data from all over the U.S., Canada, and we've got a, a few handful of international clients as well in different countries that we see data on every kind. I, I've seen every kind of business model out there, I believe, you know, and so now I can just stop right there from whatever they hired us to do with that, or I can study it. Right. When you, when you study something and then you report formally on what you have studied, you change the relationship with the marketplace and you go from being a knowledgeable provider to an expert provider. And, and let's face it, I mean, you know, when it comes to, I mean, there's times that somebody just wants to get to a, a, a reasonably capable professional to do, you know, an adjustment or do this or that, you know, but at the end of the day, when I'm really struggling, you know, with something and I've got a, 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 an expert that I can tap into that changes the game. And, and to me, that's marketing on a whole different level that, you know, you've got to spend some, you know, I had to do, I've done three different versions of this data study where we take our client data, aggregate it as if it's one big conglomerate, and then we study it and see what does it, what, what happens with this, you know, how's profitability moving across time? What well, are people I, doing with distributions and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, I'd love to ask you some questions about that. I mean, we, we only got a few minutes left, but yeah. I definitely want to dig into that if we can. Sure. Um, so you basically took all these different business models. You didn't care who it was or where they were or what they were doing or what widget or service they were selling. Right. You put it all together in a stew and you said, or I guess it's more like mm-hmm. a gin, gin rummy hand. And you said, what can we take that actually wins here? Right. Uh, 
And what did you learn? Or maybe you want to tell us a couple of maybe some myths or assumptions that got busted or anything interesting, man. We'd love to hear well, it. Well, the first we, we learn is our simple numbers model that you'll see, you know, in the book and, and on, on the website. We see every business model exactly the same way. So if I'm talking to a room of people that we don't work with, I tell them, I says, all right, every one of you take out your P&L and put it on the table. And guess what? None of them look the same. Why is that? Well, it's the accounting profession creating extra fees for us to create a language that nobody can talk to each other with. So you're, you're telling us that these damn accountants are now acting like attorneys and trying to rip us off? Well, everything is a one-off. And I go, yeah. it doesn't need to be that way. Let's have a singular way of discussion about business profitability. So that's why we have our simple numbers model. We look at every business in exactly the same way. Well, the side benefit of that is well, I can aggregate the data a whole lot easier then. I mean, okay. it's, it's a lot simpler. <laughs> Two, we clear distortions. So we recommend, hey, let's report real wages in our numbers instead of playing tax games with salaries and distributions. And let's, let's look at real economics. I want you to know where did I earn this money from? Was it from what I did or what I owned? And those yeah. are two different businesses. Because then, in the end, there's no way that you can, it's all a big, it's a, it all comes out in the end anyways, right? That's right. I mean, I, I'm good. You can make money the way you want. I just want you to know where it actually really came from. Okay. Yeah. And what was and, the, what was the well, next? It, so then as we put it together, it says, well, what did we learn? Well, I now know in my original book, my original premise was you needed at least a 10% profit. And, and so that was kind of where our statement was that, you know, 10% is the new break even. From my most recent research, I now have the universal connector across all business models, and that's called return on invested capital. Whatever capital input is, I need a minimum of, to us, 50% return on capital year over year is the minimum viable business model, and I really want 100, 70, you know, 75 to 100. Of this latest aggregate of data set that we're working with, the average return on invested capital of this 50 companies, about 250 million of revenue in aggregate, the average return on invested capital is 90% year over year. Wow. So that, that's why I can speak with confidence that, listen, I mean, if you, if you can't produce at least a 50% return on investment, we got to have a serious discussion. So I'll give you a good example. We were talking with an online retail client uh, that, that um, they, they, they have to stock inventory and they're, they were making a nice profit, but they were only at like 38% return on invested capital. And so I looked up at their balance sheet and I realized you guys have a million dollars too much in inventory. And, and I, I, I never set foot. I mean, I, I've never met them in person. We've just talked online um, in, in our remote call. And, and they knew exactly what I was talking about. They said, yeah, we know that we got a million dollars of inventory we'd like to not have. And if they didn't have that million dollars of inventory, then they would be able to take a million of cash out of the business that they didn't need and they would then be at 50% return on invested capital. Wow. And by that one discussion, it changed their, their dedication and intentionality of fixing that problem because they now know that they're below a critical standard of performance. Wow. You're wasting money by sit, this dead asset sitting there and not doing something about it. And now, so, so when you can talk about business in that way, 
whether you're going to run a single chiropractic clinic with a gym, I'm going to run five chiropractic clinics with contracted doctors and make sure that we all deliver the same level of care and service and outcomes. And we own a chain of of gyms and trainers that will help people through that process. Or we do physical, we add physical therapy, you know, to the practice, pick any of those things, or you want to do acupuncture, whatever, you just have to understand that whatever the capital input is of the activity, I got to at least get 50% year over year return within, I'll give you the first 12 months as a test, but after 12 months, I got to have that return from that point forward or else it was a bad idea. So if it costs you a hundred grand to start it, you better be getting 50 grand consistently, but more like another hundred grand out of it. Yeah, I, I, I really like it, especially on a, cert, a thin capitalized service-based model because you're not buying a ton of equipment in most of these models. A little more equipment, obviously, in a gym model, you know, but... Um, we keep it pretty simple with very simple equipment. Yeah. We're not looking at, you know, yeah. dropping 400 grand in machines, so... Exactly. Well, Greg, one of the numbers that, that was in your book that I really kind of... I don't know what you want to say, hung my hat on was labor efficiency. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you quickly talk about that? So if you got a guy right. that has maybe four contract uh, uh, chiropractors working for him, or you got a woman, I know a woman mm-hmm. up in Minneapolis who's got like nine doctors working for her. Uh, right. Can you kind of talk about how to just see on paper, is this a, is this a good hire or not? Yeah. So, so you look at, I mean, so every, every business model, I mean, so I, it's, it, you know, I always tell people uh, we we try to shy away from industry specific labor efficiency ratios, although we do get a sense of what they are. Um, but but probably in most of these professional service models, if I'm not getting probably a, a at least a two, if not a two and a half, you know, labor efficiency of of billings to compensation paid out, and this is gross compensation, doesn't count payroll taxes or or any of those things. I, I just want to look at relative to what is your output of what I build in net of, if you're in a profession where there's some out-of-pocket hard consumables, like in the dental industry, we'd have to keep track of dental supplies and, and hard cost. Um, you know, but... But, but chiropractic's you know, pretty easy to deliver. I mean, it's not a... Yeah, I don't think you guys have a lot of a lot of consumables. So it may only be 3 to 5%, something like that. Okay, so if, know, I'm, if I'm paying the doctor, let's just do some easy math here. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple numbers, Greg. You can use yeah. that line if you want. That's right. Uh, $100,000. I'm paying a contract chiropractor $100,000 to deliver for me, right? Mm-hmm. What do... If you... And you say it's going to cost another 3 to 5% of consumables and crap, but... Right. So let's say total all in, 105 yeah. What do we want to see that? If, can you back do the, the well, can you back well, let's, let's, there? well, let's kind of go the other direction. I'm going to okay. say that um, if I'm paying a hundred, I want probably a minimum of 200 billable to probably 225 of margin, which is after the consumable cost. So if that consumable cost is only two or 3%, you can see that then the top level. So let's say if it's a two, that'd be 200,000, another Five percent on top of that would be, you know, two, probably two ten. So that they'd have to bill two ten, cover some of the consumables. So they'd have two hundred thousand of gross margin, which is a two labor efficiency is gross margin per dollar paid to that producer. Um, and so that would be one way to look at it. Um, so that would give us the ratio of roughly two to one. Right, a two to one. Right. Okay. So it's because you're looking at it. So a lot of people look, a lot of the medical practice management people look at labor as a percentage of billable revenue. And the, and you get to the same number, but I look at it as that's a reductive thinking. I want to look at productive thinking. 
in the sense that for every dollar of good labor spent, I should get a multiplier off of it. Okay. And, now, and, I, and I just need to get what is that minimum acceptable multiplier. So in professional services, your accounting office, my chiropractic clinic, mm-hmm. uh, a guy down the street has a, I don't know, an attorney or something. What do you want to see that ratio at? I mean, is two to one a good ratio? Is that bottom of the barrel? Well, all right. So in every business model, you have as much as you want to look at a singular number, that's, that's a little myopic. So you got to think in terms of there's always a rate. Yeah, a but you're, you're really smart and I'm kind of dumb. So, so clean but, it up here. Okay. So the idea is there's really two things. So the first thing I'm going to look at is what does it take for me to run my office in what we call kind of the business chassis? So facilities, marketing, management, labor, payroll taxes, other operating expenses. That's kind of what we call the chassis of a business. That number is pretty, to be quite honest, just look at the last 12 months of what you spent on those five things. And that's a pretty good number to base it off of. So let's say that number is 300,000. So that tells me that I've got to get, uh, you know, at least 300,000 of what we call contribution margin. So that's gross margin minus the, the, the producer wages paid, whatever that net number is. So I'm kind of working my way up the P&L, not from top down. And so I got to get at least that number. Well, I want to make a profit. So let's say I want to make 150 a profit. So that's 500. So I got to find a way that after I've paid everybody's wages, I'm still making 500 net after that. And so I'm just going to back into that productivity and then ask myself, do I have the marketing engine to, to drive that much activity? And do I have the production staff that can produce that much activity for that amount of wage? And, and so that's where you're just kind of backing your way into it. But it's that net number that comes after wages are paid is, is that's what we call contribution margin. I contend that that contribution margin dollars is the critical number of any business model. Say that again so that we're clear. Critic, the, the, the critical number of any business model is what we call contribution margin, which is, you know, revenue minus direct costs is gross margin. Gross margin minus direct labor, your producer wages, is contribution margin. So whatever drips out, I got to have enough dollars there. I don't care what the, the, the percentage is or anything like that is. I got to have enough quantity of dollars to cover my operating expenses and make a profit. And if you look at it simply from there, that number is really easy to calculate. I mean, we do this every stinking day with people that are just, they, they're looking at a thousand accounts on their P&L. And I said, listen, just simplify it. It, it. There's, you know, and if you go to that simplenumbers.me site, there's a couple of spreadsheets and stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. you can see the, there's a, there's a planning template that we have in there with that structure. And, and you can download that and put your numbers in that structure and say, listen, I, you know, if I'm not currently profitable enough, the, and I'll teach everybody how to be a consultant right now. Keep your costs the same as they are until what is the production that we got to get without adding any more labor to our model. I mean, that, that's, that's actually the simplest way to fix your problem. And if you can't do that, then you've got to ask yourself, do I have the right labor? Do I have people who really can produce? Or am I just fooling? I have people I like, but I, or people that's convenient, you know, but are they really the right people? Yeah. I always say that a great accountant is one of your best business advisors and a bad accountant is a really overpaid bookkeeper. <laughs> what I, yeah. what I yeah. like about you, Greg, is that 
you know, you put it on paper so that you could advise somebody. I mean, you put it on a simple number so that you can advise somebody of, hey, this person, I don't know their name. I don't need to know them, but they're not good for your business. And like you said, you might like that person. Hell, they might be your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law. You don't know, but it doesn't matter when you can just put a number to and say, they're not helping you reach your objectives. It becomes very easy to do everything from there. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not laying them off because they're, you know, or you're not counseling them or laying them off or whatever your next step is because you don't like them. In fact, if you're, you know, working with them, it's because you do like them, even though they're crappy for your business. So I love the fact that you can just put it on paper so that an outside guy like Greg can help yeah. you say, Hey, you need more of these people and less of those people. And here's yeah. some other things to think about. So, well, and you know, and I think most people will tell you, I mean, you know, we, we, we tend to hold on to underperformers either. We, we don't like conflict or, um, you know, or, or you've got another reason why you're holding on to that person, but yep. un- understand, you know, would you change banks if, if your bank was offering you 2% for a CD and the bank down the road was offering you a hundred percent? In a hot second. <laughs> yeah. I'd change. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what you're really facing when you don't have the people that you could put in that role that are available. Now, granted, we live in a world right now where labor is pretty hard, good labor is hard to get, but it's not impossible to get. But it really is is setting the expectation. One of my favorite sayings that I I use all the time is a man who aims at nothing hits it with amazing accuracy. And and so, you know, the, the, the thing about the chiropractic model that I like is you're a service industry that is needed every month of the year. Now, granted, you may have some lighter months than others. Realistically, it's probably lighter because of, of the chiropractor schedule rather than the actual patient's need, you know, because, I mean, I, I gotta, I'd have to think that people need it all the time, whether they choose to buy it or not. You know, sometimes they, you know, they, they may make some other buying decisions to, to push and pull and one thing or another. But at the end of the day, the, the need is actually quite constant. And, and so, therefore, if I have a good delivery mechanism, I have a good value mechanism to make it easy for people to buy, choose that service, and I'm effective in, in the services I provide, and I have my people producing uh, at, at an acceptable level, my business runs much more consistently because it's when your business runs inconsistently is it creates that month of expenses with no income or little, not enough income that, I mean, that I just fell in the ditch and I got to crawl out of the ditch before I can get back on the road. And, and you keep doing that over and over again, you're never going to have profit at the end of the year. Yeah. Well, you're here to save everybody. You're like the Superman of accounting, man. You came in to swoop in. Or no, more like Iron Man, you know, the, uh, let's say, billionaire, playboy, genius, uh, philanthropist, I think. <laughs> so, anyways, well, Greg, I know your, your time is precious and you want to keep that labor efficiency. By the way, Mike, who helped set this up, claims that he's at a labor efficiency of 9.5, but you only pay him at about a 5.5 level. So, yeah. you got to work on that. But uh, well, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, go ahead. Well, like I said, he, uh, you know, you always want people to be uh, aiming higher. So, uh, yeah, that's you know, right. He'll, he'll, he'll probably, he'll, he'll probably get a, a nice present in his Christmas stocking this year. 
All right. Well, wrapped around the coal might be a little, uh, a little uh, something nice, huh? That's right. Well, listen, thank you very much for taking the time with us, to Greg. And where should people go if they want to connect with you and your ideas? Uh, actually, the, the best place to go is simplenumbers.me is our content site. Um, you know, and so there's a contact form there uh, that, you know, if you're interested in, you know, if, if it's something that you can't figure out on your own. I mean, we do work all over the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and outside of the U.S., so certainly, uh, if you if it's something that you know you need some help, uh, you know, give us a give us a shout, and we'll we'll schedule a call to kind of chat with. Hey, here's our process. Uh, but on that site, you'll also find how we work with clients, and uh, and and the thing is, is ours is about you know providing value, and so. You know, I always like to think, you know, if, if we do a good job at what we do, our cost is free. Uh, but, you know, and there's also times, though, that it's not a good fit and it's something that, you know, we, we may not be the best approach and we'll be the first ones to tell you. Well, uh, I know that in any medicine, if you can have a unified approach to what the doctor's saying to what the patient is hearing mm. and both sides understand what you're going for, it's a whole lot easier to get things better, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and it's confusion. It's, it, well, it's thrilling to see people just really change their business model and and get it, you know, and, and really, you know, create success out of that, um, you know. And, and so I think that's that's really something that our team really loves to help people do. And uh, uh, and it, it, it makes it a whole lot more enjoyable to come to work every day and feel like you've, you've made a difference doing that. Yeah. Well, you certainly made a difference in my life, Greg. I want to say thank you. And on behalf of all of our people listening, I think, you know, you, you certainly, stim- I hope you there's some wheels turning out there because what you're talking about has the ability to either supercharge your business or help somebody realize that if they're not measuring in a certain way that they're essentially, you know, driving around the e-brake on all day. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. one of those is better than the other. Absolutely. So, uh, on behalf of Greg Crabtree, and I am Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and hell, pay attention to the right numbers and magic will happen. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Greg. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.